that you guys are here this morning. We had a packed house here last night. Uh, if you're listening online, we're glad that you're taking some time to, uh, to put the Word uh, into your heart and into your, into your mind. Spend some time uh, thinking about that. Uh, it's, it's good. Um, if, you are, uh, if you haven't been here in a little while, uh, it's a good time to actually show up because we're starting a brand new series, something I'm pretty excited a, a, about. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. Part of that's actually going to depend on you, and we'll explain that more in the weeks to come. But uh, I just want to start this morning by asking this question. Have you ever had a test? Or had to take a test that you were not prepared for? You ever been in that spot and you're like, oh, uh, so I found this picture online. I want you just to tell me which one you're most like. You're like the nerd who's like, did you study for the test? It was like, yes, all week long. Normal people, yeah, we read the chapter. And then there's the cats in the audience. You know, what test? You know, which, how many of you are like kind of ever been on the side where it's like that cat? You're like, oh, wait, there, there was a test. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it reminded me of a story of a, of a guy in uh, university who was taking a finals exam, and as he, um, everybody was sitting in this auditorium, hundreds of people there writing this exam, and as they were writing this, this uh, paper, the, the, the professor at the front said, okay, time's up, you know, you have to turn in your papers, and he realized he had not prepared enough, he wasn't done, so he keeps writing, and they all knew this professor was like a hard-nosed guy, and he just so, uh, this guy was like, he didn't care, he was going to try and make sure that he would just be able to get an, uh, a good enough grade. And so the professor's sitting there watching him. He's the only guy left in class. And he's like, tells him, he says, you know, you're going to fail, right? And he doesn't matter. He just keeps writing. And he says, listen, you know, every, every single extra minute you take, I'm docking 10%. It's already been 11 minutes. Like, you're done. And he's like, he keeps writing and writing and writing. Finally, he finally finishes his paper and he walks up to, to hand it in. And the professor says, you're 28 minutes late. You know, I said, I've been waiting here this whole time just to tell you, you failed and you'll probably be a failure at life. And the kid looks at him and says, do you have any idea who I am? And the professor looks at him and is like, no, and it doesn't actually matter. I don't care who you are. And the kid says, good, and puts the paper in the middle of the stack of the other papers and walks out. <laughs> For those of you who don't study, maybe that was the one thing you need to learn in church today. But I want to begin a series today uh, kind of on that, on that thought of not being prepared for a test when it faces you. And I want to call this series, Got Questions? Got Questions? Uh, and so today I want to just challenge uh, with part one of, of this series of just the challenge to be ready. Uh, I've been reading Mere Christianity a bunch in the last little while, uh, watching the Alpha Course. I've been having conversations with some of you over the last number of months that have just kind of been stirring in my heart that I just really can't get away from this thought. I try to go a different route and just feel like I can't. So, uh, you know, I want to talk about this idea of the questions that we have in life. And there are lots of questions that we have in life. Some of you, you know, this morning you woke up and was like, what should I have for breakfast? You know, how much time do I have? Have. You know, you looked outside, what's the weather like? You know, what should I wear? And some of you, you like, you asked your spouse, you know, hey, what should I wear? Does this match? Some of you should have asked your spouse, you know, what you should have uh, worn this morning. Some of you decided not to get dressed at all, and you're listening online, and we're glad that you are taking some time to uh, spend this with us as well. Maybe for you, you're like, how am I going to fit all of these things into this short uh, schedule that I have today? Questions we ask ourselves. You know, there's other times where other people ask you questions. Maybe it's your boss who's like, you know, knocks on your door and is like, hey, you, uh, you playing Farmville or Candy Crush again when you're supposed to be working? You know, maybe it's your, maybe it's your, um, um, your, uh, your spouse that asks you that question. You just hate to be asked, you know? What are you thinking about? Uh-huh. And you're like, uh-huh. nothing, you know? It's like you can't be thinking about nothing, and it just leads to those conversations that, you know, whatever. Parents, you know, it's like your parents ask you stuff. You're like, 
you know, you, you get home too late and they're like, you know, where were you? What were you doing and who were you doing it with? And you're like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to answer those questions. Or kids, if you have kids, it's always the same thing. Can I have, and then just fill in the blank. Can I have candy for breakfast? Can I have candy for lunch? Can I have more screen time? Can I, can I, can I? It's, it's all these questions they ask. Google, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, became a massive company based on the fact that people have questions. You know, we don't even have to think about stuff anymore. You don't actually have to retain any knowledge anymore because we have Siri. For those of you who are Apple uh, uh, consumers, you've got Siri, and you can just ask Siri whatever you want. You never have to retain knowledge. Today, or actually yesterday, the most searched um, things on, on Google in Canada, the questions everybody was asking had to do with the Blue Jays and Justin Trudeau. Those are the two top things people were asking about. But, you know, I, I looked at some of the things that people asked. You know that the number one thing Google, the number one question people had last year in the world was this question. What is zero divided by zero? For those of you who have no idea what that means, if you ask Siri what zero divided by zero is, she will say this. Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies and you are sad because you have no friends. (laughs) That is the most Googled question in the world last year was that question. People have used Google for other things as well. They should have gone to their doctor maybe, but they asked Google, am I pregnant? How is Google supposed to tell you that? You know, they, I don't know if people realize that you can go to the dollar store and get a pregnancy test, but 90,000 women, we assume it's always women, but 90,000 women have asked that question of Google every month. Really? I, I, it's crazy. The stuff people ask, this one's one of my favorites. I had to put it in there. Do you realize that 49... 49,000, almost 50,000, 49,500 people, including me once, asked people if farting burns calories. (laughs) Unfortunately, it does not. (laughs) But why would 50,000 people ask that every month? We We have some interesting people around us. And my absolute favorite, last year, 10,560 people Googled and asked Google if they can marry their cousin. Those are, I'm sure, our friends to the south, but uh, 10,560 of them considered popping the question to their cousin. You know, there's these questions that we have. You know, lots of questions we get asked, but those are just, you know, some of the smaller ones, but there's big questions we have. Sometimes there's these big questions that every once in a while pop up in our, in our heads and in our, in our minds. You know, these questions like, why am I here? You know, or what's the meaning of life? Or when am I going to die? And you know what people do? Just what they've been trained to do. Google. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? When am I going to die? You can actually punch in the dates and uh, you know how much you weigh and find out your, your uh, exact de- date of death calendar. And I was like, it's interesting. It's completely inaccurate. I have 35 more years, they said. So, and you're stuck with me for all 35 of them. But that is, uh, you know, it's things that people will Google because they're just like, they wonder. And then there's those big questions that other people ask you. The other day we woke up Sitting around the breakfast table, my daughter says this, this statement. Now, normally, we just talk about nothing, but all of a sudden, she says, she says yeah, Dad, I don't, think, uh, I don't think God loves Haiti. And I was like, huh. And she's like, actually, I don't think God loves anybody in the world. So I asked her the question, you know, why are you thinking that? She responded with this question. She said, well, Dad, if he loves people, then how could he let that storm kill so many of them and wipe out their homes? She's nine. I looked over at Beth to see what she would say. She she responded instantly with, 
I'm going to let you handle this when I'm going to have a shower. And booked it right to the bathroom. So I'm left sitting there, and I'm wondering, and, and, and you know, it was that, that question. I began to think, you know, how do I explain this to a nine-year-old, you know, that God is still good and that God is love? And I, I began to remind her of the time where she broke her leg, and she had broken, um, she had broken her leg and was in incredible pain and, and not going through a very good couple of months. And I said, did you ever doubt, Reese, at that time that I loved you? She's like, no, I knew you still loved me. I'm like, were you in pain? Were you going through tough times? She said, yeah, but like I knew you still loved me. I was like, it's the same thing, even on a greater scale, that no matter what you're going through, that doesn't change whether God loves you. And she's like, hmm, moment. And I was like, man, at least you got one good parent, right? That it help, help her learn this, this stuff. But those questions that, that get you, and you're like, oh, it's like this is a test I wasn't prepared for. I was driving with a couple of buddies earlier this summer, and this is actually kind of where all of this started churning around in my mind. We were kind of having some spiritual conversations on the way. And if they didn't want that, they shouldn't have took their pastor with them for a drive. But uh, we started talking about spiritual questions. And as we were just asking some of these things, you know, asking about, you know, you know how people get to heaven. And the one guy had mentioned that he had a friend or somebody at work. I, 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 my memory's a little foggy, but it was that this person was either struggling with um, like a, a life-threatening disease or, or one of his friends was. But kind of asked that question of, you know, how... How, how can I know if I can go to heaven? And my buddy in the vehicle, was, he said, you know, he looked over and he's like, he's like, I didn't know what to tell him. So I just changed the subject. And we started talking about something else. And I thought, you know, as we began talking about that, I thought, man, how tragic is that? If somebody was in a place where they're like realizing their mortality, counting on some of the, you know, the, the fact that that might be sooner than later, wondering, am I going to go to heaven or not? And then asking the question, only to find that the person they asked just didn't have the answer, wasn't really prepared for the test. You know, life's busy. Life is so busy that we don't always sit down and take time to think about those big questions in life. We just breeze through life doing stuff, stuff, stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's like you need just that time to say, how would I answer? What is the answer to that question? Do I know what it is? And if somebody were to ask me, what would I tell them? I want to take a look at Peter in the Bible today, Peter was a, a, an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He wrote to a group of people that went through the same kind of stuff. For those of you who are like, oh, I don't know what I would answer that question. You know, I hope he wasn't talking about me. Peter wrote to a bunch of uh, followers of Christ in the early uh, uh, first century. And he wrote, he wrote a bunch of letters to different, to different places. He wrote one letter and he sent it to the same. He sent it kind of in a circuit with a courier to these places. It, it's in, in the Roman Empire. He was writing from Rome. And he sent it to, the beginning of his letter says, to the, to the, to the believers, to the followers of Christ in Asia, Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. So you can see it's, you know, in, in Turkey area. Real places. Real places, real people. So he sent this letter to them, and it's uh, believed that he wrote it about 30 years after Jesus had left the planet. It was shortly before his death, and he wrote them these instructions on how to live as followers of Jesus. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus and a husband, this is how you should live. If you're a follower of Christ and you're a wife, this is how you should live. If you're a follower of Christ and a slave, this is how you should live. And if you're a follower of Christ and you're under Roman rule, you're under this Roman oppression, here's how you should live as a follower of Jesus in that in that time. And so as it arrived to each of these places, uh, they thought, found that it was so important, they started making copies of it. They knew the original was going to go on to the next place, so they made copies to keep for themselves. And this thing was copied over and over and over. And we have many of the copies today, and we can go back and look that, they, that the copies remained the same all the way through, to the point where they were translated for us. And we can read them today in our own language and see the truth that was written to those followers of followers of Jesus who had never met Jesus, 
to be able to look at that ourselves. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've never met Jesus before. I'm one of those. And the truth that was the same for them is the same that can be truth for us. So as Peter wrote this letter, there was no chapters and verses. He just shared a whole bunch of thoughts. And then right kind of in the middle to the end has a whole bunch of bullet points, just these one-liners of, you should do this. You should, you know, love, gen- uh, love uh, generously, give generously, live generously. And he writes a bunch of these things. And he says, and if you're going through difficult times, he's like, do the right thing, even if you're in difficult times. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter, because there's another letter he writes later. He says, now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Remember that. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready. Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. He writes to believers. He's not writing to pastors or the minister there. He's writing just to the believers. And he says this, set Jesus as Lord of your life, Lord of every area. Live as if Jesus is master of every decision and every thought. And it's the same thing he's saying for us, that that thought of Jesus being Lord of our lives would affect the decisions that we make in our life and would affect the way that we live our lives. For instance, where people would ask questions like, why did you correct that cashier's mistake and not just keep the money? You know, when they gave you the wrong change, which happened to me the other day at Tim Hortons with a, a, a trainee, it was like, uh, you, you punched in the wrong number. And it took like forever for them to figure that out. And they're like, you know, that, that, that idea, why would, you, why would you do this? They didn't ask me, but if they had, I'd say, because I'm a follower of Jesus and we just don't do that. We don't, we don't take what isn't ours. And, and I've had those things in our life where it can affect the big, but it affects the small as well. I shared this story once before. I went to um, uh, a number of years ago. When that first self-checkout came at the grocery store, that was like this cool thing because the lines were short. You could just go in, scan items, and and leave. Well, at Superstore, they had these croissants, and they had chocolate-covered croissants. The croissant was 99 cents, and the chocolate-covered one was $1.27. And so uh, I went, and I I bought one, and I walked up to the tills. There was too many lines, so I went through the self-checkout, and I scanned the croissant uh, uh, tag, and, and it pops up, and it gave me a choice. Chocolate frosted or non-chocolate frosted? And the prices were right there. And I looked around. I was like, I can save 27 cents. And my Dutch-blooded finger pushed non-frosted. And I walked out of that store and I enjoyed my chocolate croissant. As I ate the last bite, that thought came into my mind saying, you know, you just stole. I'm like, uh, it's 27 cents. I got it, you know, a good deal. And he's like, you stole. And I'm like, I did. I'm so sorry, Lord. And he's like, no, you're going to go pay that back. And I was like, it's 27 cents. I'm, it's good. I could not shake that thought. It would not leave my mind that I had stolen knowingly 27 cents. And so I went, and then the next day, I'm like, I'm feeling this pressure, you know, this thing on the inside. Mark, go pay that back. It's not right. And so I'm like, God, yeah, what am I do? Walk into a store with 27 cents? They still had pennies, so I had a quarter and two cents. I'm like, what am I do? Just, you know, walk up and pay. And he's like, yep. I'm like, 
oh, I feel like I'm a five-year-old again. But, you know, I walked, I went to that store, and I sat in the parking lot, and finally got the courage to walk in. As I walked in the store, I'm like, I'm just going to throw the 27 cents on the floor. Somebody will find it. It's in the store, right? You know, I've done my, and he's like, no, you got to go to the till. And I look at all the tills, and they're, li- and I'm like, Lord, there's lines up. Nobody, wa-. and he's like, you know, and I look at customer service, empty, just one lady there. And I walk up to the customer service, thing. I'm like, uh, she's like, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I, got, I owe you guys 27 cents. And she's like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? I was like, well, the other day, I bought a croissant and it was like the chocolate covered, and I punched it in as the other one, and it came, she looks at me, she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really, I'm like, here's 27 cents, she's like, I can't do anything with that, all those tills are closed, there's no way for me to actually correct this, I'm like, I don't care, you keep this 27 cents, take it home with you, but I can't keep this 27 cents with me, because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm actually a pastor, and I just feel so convicted for, and she looked at me like, this is the strangest thing, scratching her head, like, who is this weirdo? But you know what? After I left there, I remember reading my devotions, just simple words that said, you know, those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. And it was like the lights came on, and that's the reason why you had to go do that. It's just not simply 27 cents. It's faithful with little, faithful with much. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, it's got to affect the areas of our life. So when people ask me those questions, why the heck would you give 27 cents back? Because I'm a follower of Jesus, and he affects every area of my life. Why are you saving sex for marriage? Nobody does that. Yeah, well, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's what he's asked of us to do. It's what he's designed for. You know, why do you give money away to people? It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do you waste your time going to church on Sunday mornings? Because I'm a follower of Jesus, and he calls us to be connected with with, uh, other followers of Christ. How could you possibly forgive your lousy husband, wife for the things they did to you? How can you possibly forgive them? It's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and he's forgiven me, and he's Lord of my life. So Peter was encouraging them with this thought. And for him, he was saying, you know, you guys are going through some difficult times. He says, if you would follow Christ and do the right thing in those difficult times, people are going to scratch their heads. And it's going to bring about these questions. They're going to ask, why? How can you have so much hope when you're going through so much difficulty? I think of the Kafazos in the hospital with their son. And I've been in that place before where as you walk through difficult scenarios, others are frantic and freaking out with the situation. They look at you and see peace and they see this hope and strength that they just can't figure out and they begin to ask what is that and Peter said set Jesus as Lord of your life because it's going to cause this opportunity for questions and then he says this if someone asks about your hope if they scratch their heads and like you know what there's something about you and I I just got I got to ask why how what for some you know your lifestyle never actually begs that question There's no evidence that Jesus is Lord of your life in any of those areas other than that you arrive at a a church building somewhere on a Sunday morning. You call yourself, you know, Christian because you you arrived here, but you're not sure, you know, on the inside if if it affects any other area of your life. I've, I've had it before where some have, some have told me about some uh, people that come to Kingsway and they were talking with people in a store and mentioned, oh yeah, that person goes to our church. And the person was like, what? That person's a Christian? I would have had no idea that they go to church. Don't worry, if you think it's you, it wasn't. But it's that weird feeling. The other day I went to Tim Hortons and I had done a wedding and these people had been at the wedding and as I walked up to the same lady who I see very often to buy my same coffee that I buy very often and uh, she looks at me, she's like, I never knew you were a pastor. I was all of a sudden that look of like, "Uh uh-oh, did I steal 27 cents from you? Like, you know, what's uh, that moment of what, what do you mean? And she's like, 
I'm like, was I mean to you ever? She's like, no, 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 nothing like that. I knew you were a good guy. I just didn't know you were a pastor. I was like, okay, phew. I don't care if people don't know I'm a pastor. I actually would prefer that they don't know because people get this weird idea. They think, oh, he can read minds. You know, I don't want to, nobody wants to talk to the minister, right? So I'm just glad they don't, you know, know me as that. But if it was that they wouldn't know me for being a follower of Christ, that, that's, that's bothersome to me. I would want them to know. And, and Peter's saying, make Jesus Lord of your life so that in situations in life, people are going to have those chances and those things to ask. You know, I think some of us, we need to reject the cultural pressure that's on us that we should keep our beliefs simply to ourselves. You know, we don't talk about religion or politics is, you know, something you hear often. But the, the problem is that that's not, that's not what God designed us to do. The problem, though, isn't always that we don't want to share. It's not that we don't want to tell people about Christ. It's not that we don't want to tell, tell about the hope. The biggest problem that I think we have as a church in, in North America is that we don't know what to say. We just don't know. It's like we arrive at the test and we're just not ready. We don't really know what, to, what answer to give when people ask about the hope that we have. Why do you go to church? Uh, you know, what, do you believe that Jesus is real? Uh, yeah. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Uh, yeah. Well, why do you believe in Jesus and, and you know, but not Santa Claus? And you're like, uh, and not knowing. The problem is that we don't often know what to tell others. When the questions come up, you know, did Jesus really exist? It's, uh, how do you know the Bible's really true? Uh, you know, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven someday or if there even is a heaven? Uh, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You heard that one before? Mm. How can something that happened 2,000 years ago, 9,000 kilometers away from here in a desert, affect my life today? Mm. You know, that's a great question. I think you should ask somebody else. You know, or that's a great question. You think you should come to Kingsway and maybe Mark can answer it. It reminds me of the kid taking a test in grade school, and he hadn't studied, and he gets there, and he sees the questions. He's like, man, I don't know the answer to this question. He's like, I don't think anybody does. So he just writes, only God knows the answer to this one. Then he goes to question number two, and he's like, only God knows the answer to this one. Number three, same answer, all the way down his test, finally gets through the whole test, and that was his answer to everyone. When all the tests were returned, he got his test paper in it back, said, good job. God gets an A, you get an F. I thought about that. You know, for some of us, it's like that when people ask us these questions about faith and about Christ and about our hope and about salvation, it's like, only God knows the answer to that one. I don't want it to be said, yeah, God gets an A, Mark gets an F. He said, Peter said to them this, he says, if someone asks, and some of you are like, I'm going to play those odds. I'm going to play the 50-50 that if someone asks, I don't really need to be prepared because they probably won't ask, but Peter doesn't even leave that option for us. He, doesn't, he says, you know, don't worry about the if so much as he says, you know what, if person asks, he says, you better be ready. So be ready just in case. As a follower of Jesus, he said, always be ready. And that just means be prepared beforehand. Be prepared what you're going to say beforehand. In sports, it's like when you're sitting on the bench and the coach says, listen, I want you to be ready the second that I want you to go into that game. When they call up the bullpen for the Jays, they're like, listen, I want you to be ready and, you know, an inning. That guy better be ready. You know, when a storm happens in life, it's like people are getting ready for the storm, and they're like, we got to stock up on some goods. we got to make sure the generator's got some gas in it. we got to, you know, batten down the, the, the hatches or whatever we got to do to make sure that everything is ready. We do it in all areas of life, but what, why not in the most important area of all with the hope that we have on the inside to be ready and prepared to give an answer? Peter says to them, be ready, always be ready to give an answer. And that answer, he says, is, is a reasoned statement, an argument or defense. Not an argument in an argumentative way, we'll see in a second, but that thought out answer that I've, I've thought about this question before. And here's, here's what I think. Here's an answer that, that I think. You know, because you get questions like this. 
You know, why did God let my loved one die of cancer? Why? And you're left with answers like, uh, because God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Or God needed another angel in heaven. That's why. You know, why does it seem like everything goes wrong in my life? And you quote your favorite scripture, God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. That's not even in the Bible. How can I know that I'm going to heaven? I guess I'll just have to find out when you get there. Or I think you should ask my pastor about that. But Peter's saying, you know what? This thing is so, so important. Be ready. Be prepared to give an answer. And for some, for a lot, they think, you know, well, that's what you're paid for. (laughs) You know, that's your job, Mark. Peter wrote to them, and earlier in his letter, he wrote this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, I just want you to look for the key word. I tried to help. He says, and you are living stones that God's building into his spiritual temple. You're the church. You, you are. He says, what's more, you are his holy priests. You're the priest, the pastor, the minister. If you think that that's somebody else, he says, that's who you are. You're the one who gets the chance to, to, to be in that, in that role that you think maybe belongs to someone else. In verse 9, after a few thoughts, he says this, but you, you're not like that. You're a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Because of what he's done in your life, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What's the main point in there? You. Yeah, but we'll switch that to me because I know now you're all like, you. <laughs> it's that thought. He said, you know what? It's you. You're, you're the ones. And Peter was actually reminding them of something that Jesus had said to Peter right before he left the planet. was this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. I've conquered death and everything. I've got all the authority, and here's what I'm going to do with all of that authority. He says in verse 19, therefore, because of I... Because I have all that authority. You go and make disciples. Go make disciples. Make followers of Christ of all the nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, this is where we've been really good at. We've done that. We're like, yes, I will be a follower of Jesus and get baptized. I will get baptized. And that's where it ends. But Jesus said to them and said this. And then teach those new disciples. Teach them to obey all the commands, including the command, go and make disciples. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Peter is saying to them, listen, you're the one, so be prepared that when the questions get asked of you, that you would have an answer for them. And then he says this in 1 Peter 3.16, kind of following up on the last part of what we were looking at earlier. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Nobody's looking for you to preach at them. Nobody's looking for, you know, hey, you know, how do I go? How, how can I get to heaven? You're going to hell, sinner. There's none of those things of, well, you better get your life straightened out. I know you drink a lot. I know the things you've said to your wife. You better fix all those things. And then, you know, you better do some more good deeds than bad deeds. And some of you, you have those questions yourself. You're here this morning because you're like, hopefully this is good with God. You know, I showed up. Uh, I showed up at church on Sunday. That That should count for something. That should outweigh all my bad deeds this week. Peter's saying, you know what? Share good news. Share good news in a gentle and respectful way. You know, people don't know what people don't know. If you look out around the world, you know, like wondering, why can people, why are they doing this? Why are they destroying their lives? Why are, they, why are they doing all these things that are just so hurtful? Why do we have ISIS? Why do we have, you know, uh, all this trauma that happens around the world? People don't know what people don't know. 
We've been going through some CAS training because we'd like to foster uh, uh, children as we hear the stories. It's heartbreaking to hear of what happens in homes in our community. Heartbreaking. And then you begin to think, you know, those parents are right in your heart. It's like in your head right away. It's like, wow, those are unfit parents. And then they tell you the parent story. And you realize what these parents have gone through. And you're like, these people just didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know uh, any different. And they find themselves in these places. Blaise Pascal said this about the world. He was a brilliant French mathematician. He was a physicist, an inventor, writer, philosopher, brilliant man. Born in 1623. It's a long time ago. But even then, these words still ring true today. He says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness, of which now all that remains is an empty print and trace. There's some emptiness on the inside. He says this, He tries in vain to fill with everything around him. He seeks in the things that are not there, the help. He cannot find in those that are. He's looking for help in all those things, but there's, not, there's no help there. It says this, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss, that hole in the heart, can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. This idea that every person has a God-shaped hole on the inside they're trying to fill, and they don't know it. They don't know that that's what it is that they're looking for. And no matter what people try to fill with that, this thing of this emptiness, this hollowness is still there. And for some of you, it's you. Jim Carrey said this, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so that they'd see it wasn't the answer to anything. Because so many, it's like if I could just have a little bit more money, that's the the thing that says in you, yeah, I'll be happy. That's going to meet that need. For some of you, it's like if I could just be more, you know, more popular, more famous, whatever. If I could just be a little bit more, it would fill that happiness, that emptiness on the inside. And he said, you know what, I wish you all could experience it because you'll find out it's not the answer to anything. Russell Brand, another comedian married to Katy Perry at one time, said this, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is the problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution. Again, that same thought of reality has got this, this is empty, this hole on the inside trying to fill it with something. Freddie Mercury, the musician of, you know, the, the band called Queen, 1985 said these words, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization, millions of dollars, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. This thought of knowing what he really needed on the inside was something he never experienced, even though he had everything else in the world. And you know what's interesting? Here's some quotes from somebody even more famous than all of them, and this is what Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth. You're looking for truth, I'm it, and I'm the life. You're looking for life. You're looking for fulfillment. He says, you know what? I, that's who I am. This is who I am, and this is what the world is looking for. No one can come to the Father except through me. In John, verse 10, um, John 10, verse 10, he says, The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to give them that rich and satisfying life. That thing that's missing on the inside, it's why I came to the planet. It's why I'm here. I came to save, to redeem, and to give them real life. So this morning, as we finish up, I thought there's two different types of people possibly here today. Maybe you're the person here that you've got burning questions on the inside about what you really believe. You attend church, and as a result, you call yourself Christian, but it feels like something's missing on the inside. You hope that when you sit here, no one else can see through and, and, and see that, but you'd have no idea of what to tell someone who asks about your faith in Christ because you're not sure about it yourself. Their questions leave you wondering and, and, and without answers, but it also leaves you with questions. 
their questions seem like they may make more sense than what you believe maybe as a child from Sunday school. Is the Bible really true? Hmm, I don't know. Did Jesus really exist? Oh, I'm here because, but I don't know. What happens after this life? And maybe you're the one sitting here this morning who needs answers for you. Maybe you're not sure if you're ready. When it says be ready, maybe you're not sure if you're ready to meet God and to give an account of your life. And when he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? You're not sure. You're just hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad. But you can be certain of what Jesus said. You can be certain of where you'll go in eternity. You can be certain that there is an eternity and that you will spend it with the Father. And it's, it's answering the call that Jesus said to every single person. Repent, turn from living life, stop, change the, your mind about the way you think life is supposed to go, that you're in charge of everything, and come follow me. Let me be Lord of your life. I'll wash, I've washed all that sin away already. Let me be Lord of your life. Do life with me, and you'll experience what it's all about. Maybe you're here this morning, you have questions, and this series is geared for you, that you'll be able to find answers to those questions that may bring you to a genuine saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here and you're on the other side. You're certain, you know, that you're a follower of Jesus. You've got belief in Jesus Christ, but you're just not sure what you would tell others. You've never really sat down to think about, this is what I would tell others if they asked me about my faith. This is what I would answer if somebody said, hey, why do you go to church? Do you really believe that stuff? We're giving you the opportunity in the series to sit down and take some time to think about what it is that those answers would be. Maybe you're just not sure if you'd be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. Last quote is this guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Wrote some incredible books, Chronicles of Narnia, but also a book called Mere Christianity. And he wrote this. Christianity, and this is to all of you who would say I'm a follower of Jesus. Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance at all. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It doesn't leave this room, this, this opportunity for just saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus and that's good enough. It doesn't leave that opportunity if it's the answer for the world. It doesn't leave us the opportunity to just simply say, okay, it was good for me. It was this thought and the challenge to each and every person here that whether you have questions for yourself or, or you're a follower of Jesus um, and wanting to be a disciple that makes other disciples, either way, it's worth it. Either way, it's worth taking a step on this journey to be ready to sit down and answer those questions. And if Christianity is false, you just wasted a couple great hours on a beautiful sunny day sitting here. Which tells me that for some of you here this morning, you think that there's an answer in this thing for you. And if there's an answer in it for you, there's an answer in it for our world that they need to hear. And they aren't going to hear it just through me. You don't want to miss next week when we start talking about who is Jesus and why did he die. You don't want to miss it. If you're like, you know, I've got these people that I just, I, I never know when to invite them to church the next Sunday would be the one to invite people to church because we're just going to make it so simple, so plain and simple. The ones who have asked you the questions, tell them, you know, hey, I should have known the answers, but I don't come to church with me. But that'll be the last chance you get to do that because after next week, you're going to know answers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it's alive, powerful. It's not the way I've said it, but it's what's in it that speaks to our hearts. Lord, I know how you speak to my heart, and I know you do that for others as well. And so I pray for each and every person in this place, including myself, that you'd give us just that, that courage and that openness and that honesty to allow what you say to us to affect our lives, that you'd be Lord of our lives in every area, and that out of our obedience, others' lives would be changed. As we go from this place, Father, I pray for every person here that they would have opportunities, that they, just, that they recognize this week 
that you've brought people across their path who are empty and who are looking for hope, the hope that they have. Father, I pray that they just have that recognition and realization of the world around them this week, and that they would be able and be prepared and begin being prepared to share that hope. Thank you, Jesus, that we have hope. Thank you that we have such an amazing, amazing gift. Thank you that we have this life. Thank you that we have forgiveness. This is awesome and absolutely amazing. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.